The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Because you would have just heard mention in the news headlines, uh, some debris has been found um, in the North Atlantic uh, where uh, search. Searches continue for the missing submersible in and around the site of the Titanic wreck. Uh, Dr. Michael Guillen is a scientist, journalist and author and he is with me now. Michael, you're welcome to the show. Uh, We don't don't really know much beyond what I've just said, that debris has been found and it is being investigated. uh, And while that is happening, the search continues. Can you tell us a little bit about your own experience of of this world, of, of submersibles? Yes, and uh, I just heard the same news, and we can return to that. Um, Back in September of 2000, I went down to the Titanic. The dive was uh, perfectly normal, no problems. Two and a half hours down, we uh, uh, started at the bow of the ship. We had a moment of prayer for the people who lost their lives there. And then the uh, problem began when we made our way to the stern. You'll recall that the ship broke into two, the bow went straight down, the stern did a somersault, landed on its back, exposing this propeller. And so as we were heading towards the stern, my eye caught that a sight of that propeller. It's quite shiny and quite large, much bigger than our own submersible. And then I noticed that our sub was speeding up and that worried me. I'm like, we should be slowing down. And what I discovered later is that we got caught in an underwater current that drove us right into the propeller, into the blades of the propeller. We got stuck between, if you can picture this, the blades of the propeller and the inverted poop deck of the ship. And huge pieces of the ship came raining down on us. And we knew right then and there that this was no minor accident, that this was something that was really uh, life-threatening. I mean, can you, I can't can't imagine it. Can you describe what that moment is like, that, that second where you think, oh my God, we're stuck at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean? Well, you know, it's like when you're driving a car on a nice, beautiful, sunny day, you're admiring the scenery and you're thinking life is good and you're on top of the world and then something out of the world, you know, somewhere out of nowhere, a car comes and hits you. And that's how I felt. There was a moment of what? What just happened? Everything had been going so beautifully up until then. And then once that confusion dies down and you realize the gravity of your situation, in my case, because I'm a scientist, I went right into problem-solving mode. I'm like, okay, we have a problem. How are we going to get out of it? And very soon I realized there's no way out of it. You're in the middle of nowhere in the North Atlantic, two and a half miles below the surface, in a climate that is very cold and the the pressure of which will crush the air out of you in less than the blink of an eye. And you realize, yeah, no, it's not like getting your car stuck in the mud and having the towing service come over and pull you out. And when I, when I realized that, I felt an enormous sadness, like the whole weight of the ocean on top of me was on my shoulders. And I thought of my wife, I'd never see her again. Um, so it was, it, was, it was very dramatic. Later on, I actually experienced a, an enormous sense of peace. I can't explain that scientifically, but there you go. I just felt like, okay, well, this is my time. Um, let it go. Um, but then fortunately, um, <clears throat> our pilot, who was a former, get this, former Russian MiG pilot. So this is a guy who's used to dealing with life and death, staying cool under enormous Mm. pressures. He managed to get us out of those blades. And if he hadn't done that, his name is Victor. uh, uh, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now, Kieran. I I would be down there with the rest of the people who lost their lives down there. And and actually that thought occurred to me during the crisis. I said, wow, you know, I'm going to be down here with all the rest of the souls 
who've been laid to rest down here. I mean, this is going to be my final resting place. It was a pretty creepy thought, but it was just came into my head. How did Victor get you out of the squeeze? Well, I think he just kept my sense because it's utterly dark. So, And he didn't have the spotlight on. I think he was trying to conserve electricity. And he was in constant communication with the mothership up on the surface. But they were talking Russian, and I didn't understand what they were saying. But there was uh, clearly the, the intonation of the voice. There was urgency. He was sitting on the edge of his seat. He was concentrating on the monitors in front of him, the dials, the switches. It was all quite dramatic. And uh, I think it was my sense just from the the noise of the engine and the and the inertia that I felt, because that's all you have to go by down there in the in the pitch blackness, was that he kind of just jockeyed us out of there. He went forward, backward, forward, and backward, maneuvered. I don't know what he did, but uh, there was a there was a moment, uh, well after a half hour, somewhere between a half hour and an hour, when suddenly the engine went quiet. And I thought, oh great, now the engine has pooped out on him. He's totally exhausted the engine, and now we're really dead in the water. And, uh, but, uh, then we felt like I felt floating, like there was a floating sensation. So I finally, uh, slaked my curiosity by just daring to interrupt him. I hadn't wanted to interrupt him, but until then I, I leaned forward, I said, uh, okay. And uh, then he turned to me in a very thick Russian accent. God bless him. He said, uh, no problem. And I thought, yeah, well, what does that mean? No problem. What I, you know, and I realized fairly quickly that what he was trying to tell me is he'd managed to get us out of there. And I'm telling you, Kieran, it was like I had won the lottery a million times over. <laughs> Happier than even my wedding day. And I love my wife and I love my wedding day. But I'm telling you, I'll never forget that elation that I felt at being given a second chance at life. And given how you felt when you realized you were stuck, how, how then have you found the last few days as the whole world has been on tenterhooks waiting for news of what might have happened, these poor souls in this submersible. One word, Karen. Brutal. Brutal. My insides are just churning. It's like I have to relive the whole thing all over again. I have such empathy for these five souls that are down there. I, I feel a kinship with them, and I'm trying to remain, you know, maintain a kind of an emotional distance, but it's very difficult for me because... You know, when the moment I think about where they are and I know what they're going through, I mean, I'm just, I, I can't avoid reliving my own hellish experience. And I can only hope, and this is my one consolation, because honestly, it, it's, it's just devastating. My heart is breaking for these folks. But my one consolation is that uh, they find peace the way I did uh, somehow in the midst of their trial, whether they come out alive or not, and I mm. still hope that they do come alive, um, come out alive, that they will somewhere along the succession of emotions that you feel, because it's a roller coaster, man. It's a roller coaster. Um, dreadful. It's like being buried alive, not in the ground, but in the ocean, buried alive in a tin can. No way out. No way out. You're stuck. That's it. And the realization of that is horrifying. And my hope and my one consolation in all of this last 72 plus hours of pure agony, my hope is that they can find peace, especially that father and son. Mm. You know, I have a son about the age of that boy. And I think to myself, my God, my God, if I were down there with my boy, I don't know, Karen. I don't know if I could take it. I don't know. That'd be rough. 
yeah, I mean, rough is an understatement. How, Michael, do you interpret then the news that we've had in the last half hour, 40 minutes of the debris being found on the ocean surface in the area? Look, first there are noises, okay, but they can't tell you what, who's causing the noises, where are the noises, and so forth and so on. Now whether we can see debris, but the point is, when you're down there, there's all kinds of debris. When the Titanic broke in two, like a Christmas cracker, it, everything spilled out of it. And, and when you go, when you travel as I did from the bow to the stern, there is an entire area that's called the debris field. Because this is where you see women's shoes, you see uh, suitcases, you see uh, vanities, you see cases of champagne. I mean, this is where all the stuff poured out of the Titanic. And honestly, when you're going across the debris field from the bow to the stern, I think that's really when it hits home of just what a massive tragedy this was. All that stuff just spilled out of this luxury liner. So I need clarification from the Coast Guard, and I guess they're going to be holding a press conference very soon. So I'm going to, if I were there, I'd ask them, well, where exactly is this debris that you claim to have found? Is it near the debris field? Is it just part of the debris field? I'm going to assume that they know better and that what they're saying to us is that they have found debris apart from the debris field. Mm. But then I want to know, well, what exactly did you find? Uh, because it was like when the U.S. Uh, shuttle Challenger, remember that when it exploded? Yes. There was a teacher on board. And I covered that story. And they and NASA took great pains to collect the debris. They, they searched the huge area for all the pieces of the shuttle they could find, and they were able to uh, pinpoint the cause to these faulty O-rings on the side thrusters. So it's essential that we find this vessel either intact or in pieces, because otherwise we're never gonna know what happened to these to this vessel. It's gonna be like Amelia Earhart. It's gonna be this great mystery of this thing just vanished into thin air. What happened? We need to find out before we allow any more people to go down to the Titanic. That's my opinion. Michael, we really appreciate your time. Thanks a million for speaking to us. My pleasure. God bless you, Kieran. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.